welcome to another edition of the Grizz Den Podcast. I'm your host, Will Walker, and joining me is John Kraft. What's up, Kraft? Not much. I'm hoping that this podcast doesn't uh, distract uh, from the players in the finals. Absolutely. Yeah, we're going to talk through that news conference to start because it happened about an hour before we were going to start recording. We were going to touch on Ja, of course, because there hadn't been any any recent news that we had heard since the the incident. And we just now had some news, which if you want to call it news, um, basically Adam Silver was asked about the situation at the news conference right before the finals. And he said about the John Morant situation, in, in assessing what discipline is appropriate, if that's the case, we look at both the history of prior acts, but we also look at the individual player's history as well. And the serious and the seriousness, of course, of the conduct. So those are all things that get factored. It's not an exact science. It comes down to judgment at the end of the day on the part of me and my colleagues in the league office. Um, and he said, we've uncovered a fair amount of additional information since I was first asked about the situation. We probably could have brought it to a head now, but we made the decision, and I think the Players Association agrees with us that it would be unfair to these players and these teams, talking about the Nuggets and the Heat, in the middle of the series to announce the results of that investigation. With And then the last thing, given given that we are now, of course, in the offseason, he is now, he being Ja, has now been suspended by the Memphis Grizzlies indefinitely, and so nothing would have changed anyway in the next few weeks. It seemed better to park that at the moment, at least any public announcement, and my sense now is that shortly after the conclusion of the finals, we will announce the outcome of that investigation. So... Upon reading slash hearing that news conference craft, what were your initial takeaways? So, I mean, obviously, you know, I've been a little critical um, of just the sort of the, you know, of the media, of, of a little a little critical of Adam Silver's um, interview he did right before the lottery. As far as just feeling that it was a little overreactive um, and... And so I'm trying not to stay too cynical, but I will say that there's a part of me and it could just be that Adam Silver was just kind of off the cuff talking. You know, I, I don't think commissioners should really do that. Maybe people like Adam Silver because he does that. David Stern definitely would not have done that. But I guess for me, I kind of roll my eyes a little bit in the sense that uh, talking about it in a way where there's been, you know, additional things to come from the investigation, throwing out these little crumbs makes me feel like it is a little bit of distraction. Like if you go to, you know, it's the top headline on a bunch of sports sites right now, you know, and obviously I'm sure as soon as the Denver Nuggets heat games over, even probably at halftime, they're going to be the top headline. But I just think it's funny that 20 minutes before the NBA finals, you know, uh, you know, started that, Everybody on Twitter, the only thing on Twitter that was going on, the only thing on social media that was going on is people were talking about Jaw and what were the, what are the additional things and does this mean a big, bigger, uh, you know, punishment than we expected and all this stuff. And so I, I kind of feel like either uh, he was talking off the cuff and now it has been a little bit of a distraction because I feel like I bet all the shows tomorrow morning, um, you know, unless the game is just super close, are going to be talking about this in the first block. Uh, but then secondly, 
uh, if he, you know, the cynical part of me is that he wasn't doing that. The cynical part of me was he did actually want people talking about this a little bit this week as he continues to think about the suspension because he's trying to gauge media reaction. So I don't, I mean, that's, that's kind of where I come from. Um, obviously, you know, we don't, we don't know what these additional things that turned up from an investigation are. I mean, they could be things that everybody's gonna be like, Oh, whoa, that's really, that's really a big deal, but we just don't know. Yeah, I mean, I guess to your point, he could have his cake and eat it too, where he's taking the high road of not wanting to distract, but also he's getting the news cycle talking about both at that point. Um, so yeah, so looking back at the timeline, the incident happened on Sunday, May 14th. And he was asked in that NBA lottery uh, panel on May 16th. And so just Sunday being, you know, not a work day and then the lottery coming up with Victor Wimanyama, who's a huge story going into it. Like I could understand that short timeline. I mean, obviously he's in a position where you got to be ready with talking points no matter what. And he did seem a little bit flustered by the question at the lottery. And if I'm him, I'm kind of thinking to err on the side of caution, which is, you know, this is, uh, what is the public going to, what is most of the public going to agree with? And I think that's where he fell. And we, of course, debated that night on whether or not that was fair. Mm-hmm. And I don't believe that I still, the question is, what is the crime? And yes, the the other point I wanted to make, though, is additional information, given the short timeline between, you know, when he first said that he discussed it live, there's plenty to find out like he could have just the additional information could just be where was Ja like geographically right. uh who was he with and of course the big question is is the gun hit his or is it does it not belong to him and so that i'm i'm very intrigued by the additional information i did watch the clip after i had read it uh on twitter like i watched the clip of the um the interview that he just gave at the news conference and it did not seem as ominous as yeah. it read uh, upon hearing it. It kind of sound, sounded like just a very uh, diplomatic answer about a situation. And so here's here's my yeah. take on it overall. Do I think that there could be in additional information that could end up actually making the, the uh, consequences worse? Yes. Do I, do I think that even in all of this, that the consequence, like we, we have no idea what they are, but do I feel as if, you know, they are going to be quote unquote unfair. We'll see. Like I, we're, we're going to have to see the number in order to react. I, I think though, what I'm cautioning myself against is whatever the punishment is, it's probably going to be more than objectively what it quote unquote should be. But this all does ultimately come back on John Morant and a dumb decision that he made. This whole debate could have been avoided. Even if it's even if the consequences are potentially unfair, we should have never been in this position in right. the first place. And that's what I keep having to remind myself about the situation is John Morant is to blame. Number one you could have critiques of the way that Adam Silver even already is handling mm. the situation, but you have to know if your jaw, you are putting your fate in the hands of a commissioner that potentially wants to make an example 
out of something that has to do with guns, which is a hot-button issue right now, and wants to make an example of a guy that he put ultimate trust in in his second no. in the second chance and now turned his back, basically, and quote-unquote betrayed him. So there's a lot at play, and mm. I think this news conference, like you said, is is a is a pretty smart media play overall from a PR standpoint. And now we know, at least, there's not a mystery of when the news is going to come out. It's going to be very shortly after the finals, right. and and with enough time, you know, depending, um, you know, in part. I mean, again, the cynical part of me is also that many people think the finals are not going to last that long. And so, you know, the they love when the NBA Finals goes to seven games and then only like four or five days later they have the NBA draft and they just and then you have free agency and they just own, you know, the first couple months of the summer. And so this also, you know, the cynical part of me is let's do this in between if the finals end a little earlier than normal and we can get a couple days of the media spin cycle on that. Uh, so, th so that is, you know, because that's the part of me knows that Adam Silver is really smart. And so I don't think he's just talking off the cuff. I mean, there's no way he walked into both the lottery and this, although he felt like it and was like thrown by these questions. I, I just feel like he had to know they were coming. And so, but it, I will say that you're talking about the additional information. It, it reminds me of that. Uh, the, I fear the worst comment that he made in the lottery that everybody kind of ran with. Uh, when really I think what he was just saying is I'm now at a point where, you know, no benefit of the doubt is going to be given that, like, I fear that it's going to be as bad as anybody or thinks. he fears yeah. that it's not a fake, fake gun. gun, yes. That's really what right. I took from yeah. it. Right, yeah. And so that it's, it's but, I, but again, it's just this, you know, it's like either he's like this incredible genius who's choosing these words very carefully or it seems like he's just kind of, throwing some th words out there that I just don't think are as exacting as like, I mean, we talk about climbing. It's like all, when you talk with climbing all of his words, it's like everything he says is very exact uh, in how he wants to describe things and what the information he wants to convey. And so that's, so that's why, I mean, that's the stuff that just is continually uh, throwing me a little bit. I will say one other interesting thing that I meant to say earlier uh, him bringing the fact that the players association and him agreed to not come out with anything is interesting because we had talked about too harsh of a sentence and we feel like the players association is going to push back. Um, but I know that one, it seems like the, like hearing from some media people, I think there's some, like you hear some agents kind of pushing the narrative of, oh, their players are a little upset with jaw for messing some things up for them. And now you have this with Adam. And so I do think there is this narrative as well. And I hope they actually are talking with the players association. I'm sure they are, but there is this sense where I think they are trying to convey that whatever does come out with jaw uh, is going to be uh, that, that the Grizzlies and then especially the, that the Players Association is going to kind of vouch or agree with them or at least, you know, be okay with it. Um, so that's, you know, the, all those things. Um, that was the other thing that, that I threw out there. But I still, you know, I'm still kind of just waiting to see what it is and we can't react. But I just know that there's just no precedent for behavior that's not criminal getting 20 or more games. And so I'm just... Very intrigued to see where it's going to come on that line because there's just that's just like unprecedented uh, to do that. And also, and I think there is a second thing talking about it, which 
um, I know there was a Instagram post, which I don't know, remember if we got to talk about this or not, but there's an Instagram post where people were nervous because it could be interpreted different ways about jaw, um, you know, basically potentially thinking about self harm or just being depressed. And, you know, and so there is this aspect too, that I'm hoping if this is a part of it, that I've just heard a lot of cynicism about mental health and oh, jaw was just faking like he was down and stuff and I, I which annoy me too and so I do hope that this suspension is not just we've got to punish the repeat offender and more like how can we go about getting him help if that's the case we're just all on edge I feel like at this yeah. point with jaw and anything he does is now just going to be dissected and we're in this in-between area where we just need to know we just need to know what the right. punishment is going to be then we can react and I guarantee you on the talking head shows the morning after the suspension comes down there will be multiple people who take the angle of wow this was way too much this is not what i was expecting because those shows profit off of uh conflict they profit off Mm -hmm. of going against the grain of a take and they profit off of disagreement within the members of the show. Right. So it's funny because before before now, when the Instagram initially happened, everybody seemed to be on in one lane of like, this is horrible. And then the shows, I think, are going to figure out, oh, wait, we can take it another angle. So just be prepared for yeah. that. But just know that, you know, the Grizzden pod, we've been, I feel like, fairly consistent this, this whole time yeah. um, in our opinions. And I am very, very ready yeah. to... Just right. not have this be a question anymore. No, I, yeah, and it'd be helpful to talk about it, But I think, you know, for us, it's like we expect to be more than eight. Yes. Um, and, you know. And I'll be mad if it's more than 15. Yeah. That's kind of how I feel. Yeah, and that's kind of the way it is. Between and, eight and 15, to me, is probably what it should be. Yes, and it, and because of the media narrative, because of everything going on, it could get in the 15 to 25 range. I do think that that 20 game is going to be an issue uh, just looking at the criminal. But, again, you know, who knows? The additional information could provide uh, the ability, you know, it, it could mean more stuff that makes it a, feel worse than it is or other things surrounding that incident that have come out. But who knows? It's yeah. all all speculation. All right. Well, <laughs> speaking of the NBA finals, I was in a group text with some friends and we were talking about uh, the broadcast team for the finals, which if you um, watch, it's on ABC through ESPN and it's Mark Mike Breen who is awesome Mark Jackson I just got both of their names wrong twice in a row Mark Jackson Mike Breen and then Jeff Van Gundy who this team has been together for a while Um, Kraft I don't know what your thoughts are on the matter but I for one am growing very tired of the Uh, specifically Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy on these broadcasts. I feel that Jeff Van Gundy's great when you get him on a podcast because, to me, it's a little bit less performative and more conversational. Uh, Mark Jackson, I think, is just kind of an idiot, Uh, and he has his coaching experience with the Warriors, but I just don't really get any insights from from him. And But speaking on Jeff Van Gundy now on the broadcast – he kind of has his bits, and he complains about the refs. He complains about new things in the NBA. And then Mike Breen is kind of the consummate professional who's who's tying it all together. You hear his voice, and you think, you know, this is a big game. So I personally love Breen. 
our conversation was around, is this the model? Is this, is this going to be forever? Like when are these guys, when are we going to get a really good crew in the NBA that, and, and there's been a notable struggle with finding a broadcast team that is up to snuff. You look at the NFL and you have some incredible uh, booths. In fact, ESPN just invested a ton to pull away uh, Fox's booth to make try to make Monday Night Football something again. And you saw how Monday Night Football suffered without consistency in that area. Um, and so we were talking through options, and we couldn't really land on who was... I mean, J.J. Reddick's name popped up because um, he's kind of the hot new thing right now. And yes, he did some ESPN broadcasts throughout the season, and he was pretty good. Um, and I think something along those lines is interesting. But as I took a step back and I thought more about it, the NFL, I think, lends itself really nicely to color commentary because you have individual plays that have breaks in between, and you basically have this space where you need someone to break down strategy and try to explain what's happening to a very wide audience. In the NBA, I think it's actually the opposite. I think it's the play-by-play guy who is the most important. And really crucially, there's nonstop action. Like there's, you have to just describe it in real time. And the only time the color commentators can break in really is either free throws, fouls, um, any other stoppages. And even then when they're trying to talk while the action is going on, the play-by-play is having to navigate, okay, when do I jump in and, and describe what's going on? And so that I, I kind of came to that realization. And then I, I also thought about how when we watch the Grizzlies broadcast, it's Pete Pranica, it's Brevin Knight. It kind of feels like home in that way with those two. They've been together for a really long time. They've built up this equity with this, this organization. No one knows this team better than them day in, day out. So I was toying with a theory on how to fix national broadcasts specifically in the playoffs when, if you notice, only uh, local broadcasts only got to televise round one and be actually calling the games on round one. After that, it went to these national networks, which they, they've negotiated in these big media rights deals. So I thought, you know, so full disclosure, I know this probably can't happen, but I was thinking about how, what if you took in the NBA Finals right now, let's say the Grizzlies make the NBA Finals and they're playing, you know, the Heat or another Eastern Conference team. What would it look like to fully give Mike Breen the reins? He is the only ESPN broadcaster. And basically, he's the gatekeeper for all of this. Alongside him, you bring Brevin Knight. And basically, you take the local color commentator from the team that's been with them this whole time. You take the other color commentator from the other team who's been playing. You put them on the broadcast as well. They might, you know, they, you could put them right next to each other, or you don't even have to do that. You could have them in different places. But basically, those color commentators are waiting for Mike Breen to give them, to basically throw a question to them about, what it, you know? How have the Grizzlies been navigating these things throughout the season? Or what do the Grizzlies usually do here? What does Taylor Jenkins think about this? What is Ja going to do here? What has he done all seasons? You know, basically, you bring a local color commentator onto the broadcast who knows all about this team. Because to me, like the most frustrating part of watching your team on national broadcast is they basically parrot the giant narratives 
that are uh, usually sweeping and way too generalized and reductive, and they are not talking about what they should be talking about, which is you know what who is the eighth guy on the bench and like what when he comes into a game half the time Mark Jackson and Jeff Van Gundy don't know who they are and they're making jokes about not knowing who they are. Instead, bring on an expert for each team, but also preserve the big game voice of the of the national play by play guy. Just put 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 all the money there. And then I think it could add a very interesting flavor to these broadcasts and actually make them a lot more fun. Like how many fans would learn from hearing Brevin Knight talk about the Grizzlies in this way on a, and again, like I said, full disclosure, I know it's never going to happen, but this was my like fun theory that I just wanted to throw out. And maybe uh, you haven't heard this before. This is brand new, but uh, what, what do you think about that? Just as an idea? Well, as a Grizzlies fan, I would love it because I think Bre- Brevin Knight's awesome as a, as a league path. So the, the only, so I'll, I'll do the critique before I actually, right. because I like it. So the, the, as a league pass watcher, I know that there, of the thirty teams, there there are a few uh, analysts that are just not good. Um, <laughs> so that's the one. But if, of course, you know, you would think that if the the teams that make it to the finals, they typically, uh, for whatever you know, it, it is a weird how usually the better a team is, the better the broadcast duo, or at least they just know that more people are watching them. They tend to be more professional. But there's definitely a lot of bad analysts out there um, on the on the local broadcast, but not you know probably five or six of the 30, but, but most of them are very good. I do like that. I like the thought. I mean, it's interesting because I know for the for ESPN for the college football, they at least bring in, I think like Homer feeds on like extra ESPN channels where like you could watch, you know, like Georgia, you could watch the main broadcast, but then they also had a broadcast where you could watch Georgia with like Georgia players and more Georgia, uh, Homer type calling and so they've experimented with that on other channels and so i think there is an interesting where that would be interesting for that i do know that it's hard uh as far as being in person i do know that it can be challenging for um, a play-by-play guy to deal with with the three-man or multiple player if they haven't had a lot of reps together uh famously you know interestingly we saw that a little bit with the stan gun stan van gundy uh, Reggie Miller tandem that had not worked together talking over each other a lot uh, for the Western with Conference. Harlan. Yeah. yeah. With Harlan. And so, um, and, but I do think that it is, I do think at this, that I would like to see some out of box thinking and, and that would be definitely at, at the very least bring in a really good voice. Um, if you're going to keep my, you know, bring it, keep your main thing, but like have on ESPN two or ESPN because it's on ABC like simulcast it and have maybe that have the two analysts with another really good because you know you have multiple good play-by-play voices for ESPN um, and 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 see how that works because I think that would be a very interesting experiment to do that I would like to see because I mean I do think that Mark Jackson and Van Gundy uh, for whatever reason I think I think the more you know it's funny I'm I'm older but I'm going to say I mean I think there's like a boomer mentality that people do like the older people maybe 50 plus do sort of like them a little bit cuz they're kind of curmudgeonly and like honestly the older people tend to like to slam the NBA more than embrace it and I think but I think that's my biggest frustration is you don't like I just want a Dick Vitale type personality and and JJ Reddick, some people think he's a little too like I'm I'm the smartest guy in the room, but to me 
when you listen to JJ Reddick, you're like, this guy really loves basketball and is excited about basketball. And to me, Mark Jackson and Van Gundy don't feel that way all the time. I think Van Gundy has moments where he can be really good when he actually is talking about the game and analyzing it, but he likes to go on little tirades. And I think Mark Jackson honestly was only good when the Warriors are in the finals because he can, you know, talk about Clay Thompson, Steph Curry, and Draymond Green a bunch. But but for him, I just don't I don't know really what he adds. Um, besides just that he has good chemistry with Van Gundy, but I don't think he adds inside. I just, I would love to have, I, I think the other thing for me is why I love, what I love about Brevin Knight is he like loves basketball. It, it you, When you listen to Brevin Knight and Pete Pranica, you feel like they are like kids in the candy store. Like, I can't believe we get paid to come and watch the NBA and to watch this team. And I just would love, I think Mike Breen has that. I think, I think Kevin Harlan times has that. I think Ian Eagle has that. I just, I'm, I'm just surprised they haven't found that there just doesn't seem to be good analysts. And I feel like it's always been an NBA issue. I do think you're right about that in football. It is much easier because you have that 25 seconds in between plays. Um, but that's even where it's like, you know, experiment with maybe doing the multi-screen. Everybody has huge TVs now. Like have the have the little screen showing a replay that somebody's analyzing while still plays going on or or just try to do some things like that. But it is, you know, or just really take advantage of free throws uh, for really analyzing some stuff. And I just feel like sometimes they don't. Um, it just is frustrating to me that they don't explain basketball a lot and they don't get excited about basketball. And uh, and maybe it's just we we need less the Van Gundy. Uh, I don't know, just sort of ranting about the universe type mentality. Um, I think you're seeing a response though uh, yeah. right now to to the to the lack of of investment in these yeah. in these analysts because this whole this new thing called playback now, which is yeah. an app that you can download, and essentially. A lot of your favorite podcasters are watching the game, right. and you can essentially log into this app and let them call the game instead of who's calling yeah. it live. And so it's like there's a response happening. I feel like from the ground up to this not being right where it should be. Like there's they have not met the standard, and I know that it's it's kind of an off the wall idea. But I do think that it would still like if anything, I think it would be like a um, a rising tide lifts all boats uh, theory because you would then the importance on finding really good local broadcasters would all of a sudden now be at a premium because there's a there's a chance that they yes. could be on the big no, stage. I... And it reminds me sort of like a, a Premier League type thing where it's you have these these homegrown just uh, kind of Homer uh play-by-play yeah. and, and color analysts, but if they get on the biggest stage, all of a sudden it's kind of like their culture gets to actually inform the national audience. Like, this is what we're about. This is this is a representation, literally, of who the, what the Grizzlies organization is in Brevin Knight. And it's like, I would be pumped to hear him on a live yeah. broadcast. But also, I think it goes to show, to me, like this, this breakdown of, like, the three-man booth, that would be an issue, which is why I would give it the complete reins to Mike Breen like we yeah. almost it would not be a recognizable broadcast because it would be 90% him yeah. and only like 5% one team 5% the other team right. it's almost like they're just on like Brevin Knight might not talk for it, seven minutes it would it would be it would be not 
as extreme as when they bring the referee in. Yes. But it would be, be just it would like, be like that. that. Like you that could almost sense. put him in yeah. FedEx Forum in his seat and he could yeah. call it from his seat and you bring him in to explain something. So like yeah. that's kind of what I'm envisioning. Yeah, no, I think you could, you could also toy with other ideas to fill the space. Um, you could even sell more advertisements, right. which I hate to say that and put that into no. the universe, but you really could during free throws, just play an ad next to the side and, and don't have anybody talk yeah. if you don't want them to. I mean, so. I do think, I mean, I think it's interesting. You, t- you talked about English premier league and I'm not as familiar over, like, I know that they have different English, but it is interesting to me that similar to the NFL, they have all the, you know, a bunch of different play by playing voices, but even NBC itself and their coverage, they have sort of you know, a group of analysts, they definitely have their like main guys they'd bring in for the biggest games, but it is interesting how they do kind of, uh, have a group like four or five people that kind of exchange. And oftentimes I think are chosen, like, you know, especially if, Oh, you know, this analyst, he played for Everton and he played for Man U. So when those, those teams are playing and they're going to be our big game, we're going to bring those people in because they know a little bit more about the team. And so I just think, but part of it is, I mean, that's, you know, I know Hubie Brown's too old now, but but one of the things I remember being listening to an interview with Hubie Brown talking about his preparation, and it just was, you know, and he basically prepared, he prepares to be an analyst the way he prepared to coach, and it was just way over the top and extreme, almost like, whoa, and, it, and the, the thing that I remember thinking about that was, one, that's why Hubie always knows everybody, but two, I bet none of the analysts do that same amount of work. And, and that's what I think is frustrating is I just do think a lot of them, I'm not going to I mean, obviously we're sitting here armchairing it, but <laughs> like, obviously they do a lot of work, but I, there is just, there is a weirdness. I just feel like in the NFL, the announce, the play by play and the analysts have sort of a pride of, we're going to know the last man on the roster for the NFL. We're going to know everything we we're coming in. Like you hear play by play and analysts talk about NFL broadcasts. And it's like, like what we leave on the cutting room floor. Uh, same thing with college football. We have all this material that, that in case it's a blowout or in case we have a lot of downtime that we just lose all the time in a good game. And I just, you never feel that way in an NBA game. There's just not the same kind of prize, uh, like pride of, uh, the sports, you know, like nobody's like the National Basketball Association, like they are with the NFL. I don't know. It's just, but I, so I think you're hitting at something. And I do, I liked your point about the fact that playback exists is like literally the customers telling you it's not good enough. Right. Because like nobody would want, um, no, this wouldn't be taking off if people actually liked the national broadcasts. 100%. And and I mean, you look at the most successful media enterprise for the NBA, and it's a studio show with Charles Barkley, Shaquille O'Neal, uh, and obviously Ernie Johnson kind of manning that, um, and Kenny Smith too. But like, that's to me entertainment. You're yeah. not watching them for basketball opinion. No. And I think that's like, there's a place for that, obviously. Like, I love watching those guys yeah. pregame, halftime, postgame, especially. Uh, but like, there's room for both. And I think why not yeah. bolster the broadcast with, with some more, um, you know, just like team oriented uh, push right. and then leave the studio show to, for what it is, which is like entertainment. And I think you can have both. Yeah. So. Um, all right. Well, uh, transitioning, we had a mailbag alert that went out and you guys responded. And so we appreciate all of the questions. We're probably not going to get to them all in this uh, podcast particularly, but we have 
we now have built up. Yeah. Um, we'll a, definitely a have bank, another one. A bank of questions. We also, you know, some of them we, we would like the full crew here to react to. So if you yeah. ask a question that we want multiple opinions on, we, we might wait. Um, yeah. So some, some of the really, so I think, uh, all, I would say tons of really good questions. A couple of them we were like, oh, we really would like uh, Brantley and Ty here to talk about this too. Um, and so we're saving them. Others, others we just can't wait to talk about. So sorry, Brantley and Ty, we're not going to wait for you. <laughs> That's <laughs> but, right. But we tried to, we tried to kind of group them so that we could talk about them. And, uh, and so like if you don't hear your question read, you're probably, we will probably answer it at some point in the near future. Yep. That's Since right. it is the summer. Um, and I think there's going to be plenty of news coming up, but I do think we'll, we'll try to start doing some Q and A's more regularly, especially in the summer. Definitely. Um, and we were just actually noting that it's crazy how the NBA draft is now only two, 22 days away. So the summer goes fast around here. Uh, you really don't get true off time. I feel like until August, uh, in the NBA, which seems yeah, to be basically it's like when you're the first four or five weeks of watching football is like the only really time off. Yeah, like. that's true. Okay. We're going to start off with a pretty big one. Um, this is from James Norris, a uh, friend of the podcast. And he said, uh, realistic off season targets for the Grizzlies. And so I, I basically made a, a few tiers that I'm going to go through. And when he says re- realistic offseason targets, the way I'm thinking about this is, number one, who are we actually going to target in terms of like a position? And I think that one's obvious. We know that Dylan Brooks is a 99% chance not going to be back with the Grizzlies, so it seems. And he, um, therefore, is going to leave open a spot on the wing. And we know that we have a smaller backcourt with John Morant, Desmond Bain. Desmond Bain has shown that he can defend um, at a pretty average level, sometimes above average for his size, but you still, and you have Jaron Jackson Jr. in, in the back, you know, manning the rim protection, but you need somebody on the wing, in my opinion, who has the size to offset your smaller backcourt, um, but also not just has size, but can actually shoot and make defenses respect you. And and further than that, you know, you, you want somebody... Not, I don't particularly think that they need to be on the same quote unquote timeline. Like I'm not married to the fact that this person needs to be in their mid twenties. Uh, but I would like at least, um, some semblance of, of a combination of experience, but not in their twilight days. And so that's kind of how I thought through what our team needs are specifically at the wing. I have a tier one. And this tier one has four players on it. And these are all, to me, unrealistic. Like, this is, I didn't put anybody who was like a 0% chance on here. Like, we're not trading for Nikola Jokic, you know? But um, on here, I have four players. Number one, tier one, number one, Mikel Bridges. Uh, the Nets had said they are not going to trade him. I, I didn't think they were going to trade him um, anyway this offseason, and I'm sure that it's they could be making a leverage play by releasing that they're going to keep him, uh, which is smart of them to do. But I really think like he is the perfect uh, number two guy and is on the best contract in the NBA. Uh, you could argue that that's Jaron. We'll see. Yeah. But him, him and Jaron have like the best contracts. And, and never gets injured. Never gets injured. Has never freaking missed a game in his life, it seems. Uh, and so, like, if I'm the Nets, why would you trade him? There's no reason. 
if you're the Suns, why would you trade them is the question yeah, people should be asking yeah, as well. That's, that's another topic. <laughs> yep. Um, okay. Also, I have Paul George on here. Shockingly, he is due for another extension, and he is, um, you know, the Clippers have invested a lot in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, but I am not positive that um, reinvesting is the answer from a basketball standpoint. Now, do I think, like I said, these are guys that I think, you know, there's a 1% chance. 99% of me, though, says he's not leaving. He's happy in L.A., and uh, but he would fit that mold for us. He would make a ton of money, and we would be going into the tax probably next year to be sure. Um, but he would he would increase the acceleration on your uh, finals window for sure. If you, But, I, I again, it would involve a trade package that would yeah. be way that, too much. That- yeah, and, th- and that would be something like we find out Kawhi just tore his ACL and Ty Lue leaves. It, it would require, I think, a lot of blo- a lot of just it's done. We got to get a ton of draft capital, blow it up. Right. And I just don't see that happening. And especially with their owner. Like yeah. if they had an owner that was a hundredth of had a hundredth of the wealth of Steve Ballmer, then we yeah. would be talking about it. But anyway. Yeah. And the new stadium coming there. I just, I, I doubt they are going, they're trying to stay competitive. Uh, speaking of a cheaper owner, uh, Brandon Ingram in new Orleans, uh, they're about to get really, really expensive, uh, soon. And they have also like four different guys that they can, uh, sign to extensions if they want to, including Brandon Ingram. And so if you wanted to put together a package, uh, to go for him, I, I don't think we have one that could that could pull him away. I don't know why the Pelicans would either. It would be have to be some sort of like Zion injury or um, more, I guess, likely is Zion plays and you get this, you don't have success again and you realize we have to pick Zion or Brandon Ingram. Who are we going to build around? Uh, the last one is OG. Um, OG Ananobi is still in my tier one and I think mainly because he does fit every bit of criteria that I just mentioned, he's still on the timeline of these guys. And while he has not necessarily had the experience in the playoffs, he's still relatively unknown. He's he's hit a couple of big shots in his time. But um, overall, he's still like my tier one, mainly because I think that if OG Ananobi was available, uh, there would be a lot of other teams who could trade more than we could for him. Um, okay, so that was tier one. I'm going to go quicker through the, the rest of these. Tier two, okay, leading tier two, I have Jalen Brown. He is not very popular these days, mainly because of his flame out in the playoffs, and there are just very clear limitations right now for Brown, and I would not want to sign him to make, you know, like $66 million in the last couple years of his deal for sure, but that he would be a type of guy that if, if, the, if the market has soured on him enough, does that actually put the Grizzlies into the mix if they wanted to make something happen? I don't think any of these four or five guys that I just named you are getting without putting something major on the table. Um, and Desmond Bain has some issues with his with trading his contract. Um, this would involve you packaging just pretty much everybody else and like blowing up your depth or trading Jaron, which I don't think is going to happen. Yeah. Um, and the Boston's ready to win now. Like I don't yeah. I don't see this happening. Um, to, to run through the rest of these, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith, Cam Johnson, Ty had a great trade idea on these guys. Um, Bruce Brown is playing in the finals right now. He's going to be 
He's not. He's probably not going to be back when the Nuggets due to no. his contract situation. Just because he, I mean, if anybody offers him mid level, he's going to leave. Yes, yeah, exactly. Denver cannot. Denver cannot offer him the mid level, and he's right in that zone. Which these are we're getting now to some mid, Caleb Martin. You know, not going to be traded. I don't think by the Heat. He just signed a very friendly, team friendly extension. Um, I have Chris Middleton on here. That we actually got another question about Chris Middleton specifically. So we'll fold in in that question as well. This is from Sam. Hatto, he said, um, let me pull up his very specific question. He said, should we target Chris Middleton? So, okay, I'll pass it to you, Kraft. What do you think overall about Chris Middleton and how he would fit? And overall, like, what is the situation? Yeah, so I think, I mean, obviously I think Chris Middleton would fit. I think the the question is, is he worth probably the amount we'd have to pay him? Because that's, I think, the question that all the Grizzlies fans are asking. Because I think we're so, it's been two years now of are we going to consolidate get rid of all these draft picks and get like a, a fourth and kind of do like what the Nuggets did with getting Aaron Gordon. Or do we have kind of our core three guys and we're just going to build around that. And with the new CBA, I think it's going to be really hard to have four really good players, um, honestly. And I think for me, uh, Chris Middleton fits all the criteria. Basically, is can he be ignored like Dylan was? No. Uh, is he a plus defender? Yes. He's definitely a plus defender. Um, does he have playoff experience winning? Yes. Um, you know, is he on the timeline? No, but does he have two or three years left that are good that where he's going to play well? Probably. I will say he's an injury concern. That would be my big thing is just, he has struggled to stay healthy the last few years and it's always been on and off. And that just with, with where we are as a team and what we've struggled with, that's health is just something you're going to be nervous about if you get a guy with a with big injury risks. But obviously, Chris Milton would be exactly what we'd want. He's a plus defender who stretches the floor. He he makes big shots. Um, and, you know, I think he's always been very underappreciated. Um, and a lot of people just think he's only good because of Giannis. And I actually think he's actually really good. Um, and he can carry a team like unlike a Jalen Brown, who you saw when it was kind of timed for him to step up because of that twisted ankle in game seven, Jalen kind of struggled to do that. Chris Middleton very much has stepped up in numerous games, come up big. So, I mean, I, I think he'd be great. I think the issue as far as targeting him, we get back to the issue of um, how he makes, I think $35 million a year, um, you know, $40 million player option, $40 million player option. And so we were even discussing before the podcast, would he even pick this up or not? I don't know, um, because it's just kind of hard to gauge whether he would want to go for that obvious big payday short term and then get back on the market um, or whether he wants to get on the market now, get a longer term contract. Um, I, I mean, honestly, I think the Bucks are going to be wary of letting him go just because of the way their cap situation is. They're going to want to try to retain him. So I think it would be really hard for us to come up with a package where they would want him. And then ultimately beginning next year, whenever the Bane kicks in, I just, I don't see us getting him without getting rid of one of our core three guys, which I just don't think we're going to do. And, um, and so that's why I just think like, sh would he be great? Yes. I just don't know if we can target him because of the implications down the road that we would have to do something, you know, maybe not next year, but the year after that, um, and I also just think we wouldn't be able to get him unless um, we were able, we were going to give give up you know one of our three pieces. Yeah, I don't I don't think it's 
it's likely um, when you're going down the list. I mean, he's on the list, sure. I mean, he's in my tier two, but like, there's so many different things that have to work in your favor. And you also have to be, um, if you're not giving up your core three, you have to essentially pillage everything else you have in order to get a guy that I don't think is reliable at this point in his career. And I think he's at the stage where he's got his title. Um, he's played well in huge moments to me. He's, he's cemented his legacy. Yeah. And if I'm him, I'm either getting as much out of an extension with the Bucks and staying in my current situation, or you know, I'm opting out and I'm going to maybe a lower level team where I can be more of a star, yeah. but also make just like you know as much money as I want for five years or four or five years, depending on what yeah. he signs for. So yeah, and and and, and I know we're kind of getting off track a little bit, but I just want to say, I mean, this is part of the new CBA, and we've talked about this a couple times in the podcast, but uh, but part of the deal is that the there's like you know two basically there's there's the salary cap. And then you can go above the cap for certain things. And then there's the tax line. And and I think the Grizzlies are very willing to go into the tax. But with the new CBA, there's this thing they now call the second apron of the tax, um, which, you know, getting super nerdy now. But once you hit that, it is becomes almost impossible to do really anything at all as far as trading players it just becomes really difficult and what and what i think and what a lot of people have talked about is you're just not going to see really any teams unless they are for sure like we're good and we don't need to make any moves and we're just the best team in the nba and we're just going to keep it together and pay that tax but most people are always going to want to be able to sign a mid-level person. They're going to want to be able to make trades where the money doesn't have to match exactly and all these things. And so for the Grizzlies, like we could get a really top player for next season when Desmond Bain's making very little money. But starting the next year, it's going to start getting really tight if we want to stay, you know, if we if we want to stay under these really second apron situations. And, and going forward, when we're having, if we're going to really keep these three guys together a long time, it's going to be really hard to have a fourth guy who makes a lot of money. Um, and so to me, it's like Chris Middleton, somebody we could get, but it would be almost like a potentially all-in move for the next year, maybe two years, and then something would have to give. And I just, and I just don't think we're there as an organization where we're wanting to really put, especially with the jaw suspension coming. I mean, it could be that next year is a little bit of an iffy year, depending on what's happening. And so it seems like to me, the strategy this summer is going to be two years and like, it's going to be, let's contend this year for sure. And I think we're still going to be fine no matter, even if it's a super long uh, suspension for jaw, but I really think whatever they moves they make this summer are really going to be targeting two and three years from now, just as much as next year. And I think that's where some of these tier one, tier two guys, like it would be great for maybe next year, but then the contracts are just not going to work after that, I think. And this is where I would caution fans from freaking out if nothing crazy does happen. And let's say and we start the year, you know, starting Luke Kennard or David Roddy, who we saw last year. You know, yeah. let's say we strike out completely and we end up just signing maybe a couple of guys who are on the margins. But right. um, this is also, I, I think, too often we get we get obsessed with how is our team going to change in the future like how are we going to bring in someone new and we completely ignore the internal development side and I think we almost need to think about Jaron and Desmond Bain 
as two guys who are it's almost like trading for another like rung up the ladder if you will yeah. in terms of skill and what they can bring because I think those guys are still uh, so young in their careers they're only going to get better job too yeah uh, granted the suspension is just kind of a weird thing yeah. right now for him but I just want to also say like everybody on our team besides let's say Steven Adams is like the one where I feel like he's kind of fixed but everybody else and he's great but like everybody else is going to get better yeah my, and maybe Tyus you could also make another argument he's fixed but like yeah. yeah, and also I think that there's this sense, and again, everybody's gonna. I can I can just feel some of my friends rolling their eyes right now at my opt, at my like overly optimistic. But there was a point where we were 31-13, tied for first, and with our full team, and we hadn't even gotten Luke, you know, like hadn't even gotten Luke Kennard yet. And just think about what this team would have done if we had Brandon Clark fully healthy, if we had Stephen Adams fully healthy, if Luke Kennard had not gotten hurt for the last game. And we would have had that full team these playoffs. I think I don't know if I, I'm not sitting here saying I think we could have beaten the Nuggets. Um, but do I think we're more competitive against the Lakers? Yes. Do I think we could have beaten the Warriors? Yes. I mean, do you like in, in other words, I think we look at our first round exit and like, oh, we need a ton. And what I think about is fully healthy. We were right there with the Nuggets. That doesn't mean you don't. If an OG and an OB becomes available, we don't go after him. But I would say that, you know, don't be surprised if, uh, yeah, if the starting lineup of day one of this team, the coming into the season, is going to be underwhelming. Um, because I, I don't think that'll be the way the team is after the trade deadline. Um, but, you know, I mean, this is a team who was really good the last two years, starting Zaire Williams at times, starting uh, Santi Aldama for a long stretch of the season. And so, you know, to me, I think... Uh, we what we saw is we needed we were just too young especially with the injuries and so we need some vets but i think but like i think oftentimes we get carried away with we need tier one tier two type players when really our front office i think is saying we think we have our three guys to win a title now we just need to fill in all the rest of the spaces around them with people who complement them yeah for sure and just to just to be clear these tiers that i've created are not these are my personal like tier one, I would be absolutely over the moon. We're going to win the title. Yeah. Tier two, this is a home run. Yeah. Um. And so just to finish it out, Jeremy Grant, Bogdan Bogdanovich, and Harrison Barnes are my next three. Um. So tier two, the most likely outcome in in all of this is probably Dorian Finney-Smith. Yeah. Um. Which would be awesome. I mean, I that that I mean, to me, I would almost say home run if we got somebody like oh, that. Oh, hundred percent. That's yeah. why he's in that home yeah. run tier. The tier three, these are all guys who have. Um, something wrong with them in the sense that either it's a contract, it's an age, it's a skill, um, that they're missing. These are all guys that like, I could see us potentially getting if we strike out on everything else, yeah. um, depending on how much we are willing to give up in, in a trade. Cause these are not free agents, by the yeah. way, these are all like fr free agents combined with trade right. candidates. So tier three, let me run through the list and then you give your yeah. reactions. DeAndre Hunter, Gordon Hayward, DeMar DeRozan, Patrick Williams, uh, Jetty Osmond, Tim Hardaway Jr., Boyan Bogdanovich, Dante DiVincenzo, Anthony Lamb, Norman Powell, Josh Hart, Tobias Harris, Cam Reddish, Kyle Kuzma. That's my tier three. All right. So outside of Cam Reddish, who to me, for whatever reason, no team who he's been on has liked playing him. So that's just a major red flag to me. Uh, I almost like... I would be happy with almost any of those people, honestly. And uh, because I think they're all people who 
you can't leave open who are plus defenders. Um, and so I, you know, I think they're all great. I mean, and that's, you know, and, and I, I think just as another aside too, uh, like these are some of these people and it, like, especially when you're talking about the Doris Finney Smith too, these are a lot of these teams, people are maybe people who aren't going to become available until the season starts and, and teams get off to poor starts and pull the plug. And then that Golden State Warriors pick and our first round pick and another first round pick look really appetizing to get rid of a guy who's their third or fourth best player or just a wing player who they don't, you know, they don't need a great role player anymore. Uh, you know, and so I think all of those guys would be great. I think a lot of those names would be underwhelming. Um, I know, I, I know I had, uh, I know a couple guys mentioned, um, about Kuzma and I think, uh, you know, I think Kuzma could be interesting. I think the plus defender, that's that part yep. is a little suspect. Yep. Um, I, I know that there are people out there that have said that when you get him to buy in and that, that they think Jenkins and our system would get him and just being on a winner would get him to buy in um, on the defensive end. But obviously, you know, he's somebody that that he was on the end of your list. I mean, I think somebody, he'd be good. He has size. He's the kind of guy who can get really hot and play really well. Um, he definitely is a guy that you can't just leave open. Um, and so he fits all those criteria for sure. I mean, that's, you know, part of it is I, you know, I'm still uh, – I'm frustrated with the way Dylan, the, the off the court stuff with him and the talk and just the way it just was a bad taste he left in our mouths. But really the issue with Dylan was teams started ignoring him and he never made them pay. And I think that's, and so I, th and I think we found also that while his defense is super incredible, that J Jaron is so good and our system is so good that we don't need as elite def we don't need a second team all defense guy but but what we definitely need is to not play three on five four on five we cannot be ignored and so so to me like Kuzma would even be worth looking at I'm a little nervous that he would be somebody who would require too much money long term but yeah know. um tier four is just kind of like these are the scraps these are if we just needed somebody um, to maybe make it interesting for our guys, it's Jay Crowder, Troy Brown Jr., Tarian Prince, Chuma Okiki, TJ Warren, Tory Craig, and Sadiq Bay. Just all guys who are kind of that small forward sized, yeah. can shoot, can get hot, but they're they have some big question marks. And it's like I would I would kind of my reaction would be eh to most of these guys. I mean, yeah, Crowder would be a fun full circle moment. Yeah. Uh, but he's shown with age, like he didn't even play in the playoffs right. for the Bucks this this off or this postseason. So anyway, just that's yeah, a I, list of about you know thirty names for you. I to, know, to and I know about. a lot of people like Crowder because he's a little bit of a fan favorite for some people. But I actually, I mean, I I don't like the quitting on your team thing. It was just that I don't like that culture. I know they said that he was really good for our for Jaw when he was a rookie and the culture stuff. Um, but I just I I just struggle to think that he's that great of a culture guy if he just quits on a team like he did. Um, he also, by the way, I mean his team had probably one of <laughs> got upset in one of the worst ways possible. Uh, the team he played for this season, so I don't know. I, I think I think that would be hard. I definitely feel like those are all. I I mean that is on the verge of maybe like uh, that. Like I would be disappointed if the any of those people came to us in the summer. That would be trade deadline. Um, our 
our young players, we haven't seen any great inner development or we just want a vet just in case the moment gets too big in the playoffs for some of our younger guys. But that would be more like I'd more want that to be like a last second trade deadline deal more so than like bring them in the summer. None of those guys, because none of those guys wow me much. Yep. Um, all right. We got a really, really fun question for, for both of us. And this was this is through our email. So grizdenpod at gmail.com. If you want to email in questions, this is from Abe Smith. He said, what's up, y'all? Here's my question. Will John Conchar become the Udonis Haslam of the Memphis Grizzlies? <laughs> what an appropriate question for the two of us <laughs> yes. specifically. Um, that would be just an incredible development if John Conchar is in his 20th season um, and we're signing him to as the 15th man on the bench when we know he's not even going to play. He can't even – his knees don't work anymore just because of his cultural impact on the Grizzlies. Um, okay, so in, in just – I would I would love for that to happen, but in reality, I think that probably not. And it's because not because that uh, it has nothing to do with his skill, and I I really think it just mainly has to do with he's he's I call him the connector, or uh, he's he's just this glue. Um, he he just really connector with a K, by the way, um, and he just really just make every everybody on the court with him is is involved he does the dirty work he'll he'll just pass the ball where it needs to be passed like he does all the little stuff and i think that is super valuable especially in the regular season do i want him to hit more shots yes but he is not the guy to me who is who is pushing and accelerating a certain culture like udonis has when you think udonis haslam you think heat culture you think hard work you think you know, do all of the things that you don't want to do because it's going to make you 1% better today. Yeah. Like he's, he's in people's ear. He's the enforcer like, going, going after Jimmy Butler for talking back to Spolstra hundred percent. So that's, that's that guy. But I think we have another guy on our roster who could be that. And it is Steven Adams. Like I think yeah. Steven Adams to me could be the icon for Grizzlies culture, the guy who's going to, he's always the one, if there's any conflict, he's the first one to it. And he's actually trying to either, um, he's, he's trying to serve justice, whether that's somebody that needs to be yelled at on the other side or our guys who need to be pulled back. So I think the answer is Steven Adams. Uh, I would love for him to, to be a lifer. Um, even if he couldn't walk anymore, which at that size, there's a high chance that that's going to happen one day, unfortunately for him. But yeah, that's my, answer. I, I will say that. So to me, uh, what I see him because I agree, completely agree with you. What I see Conchar as is more of like, um, pro, I mean, I, Connaughton comes up because Conchar actually like listed him as a guy he looked up to coming into the league, wanted to be, he's been on the Bucks for forever and just is kind of like this, this guy who can come in and do some things. And I, so to me, uh, because I hear some people complaining, I can't believe we signed Conchar so long, blah, blah, blah. But I, I think it was incredible because especially now looking at the new CBA, like if you can have a guy making very little money that can be 11 through 15, even 10 through 15 on your roster isn't is fine with that. And you know that they can come in in a pinch and be okay. Um, kind of the way the heat have had with people like Gabe Vincent, some other people, uh, you know, and I guess people would say Caleb Martin, but now Caleb Martin's going crazy. So who knows? But that you have this, that we need those guys because what's going to happen 
in three, four years is the Grizzlies are going to be playing three are going to be trying to have three max type guys on our team with Bain, Jaron and jaw. And the way the new CBA is and the way everything's structured, it is going to be very difficult to fill out the rest of your roster um, to the point to where I am a little nervous. We're going to get a lot of like, we're going to get maybe more eight seeds in the finals because one or two injuries are really going to cripple teams because you're not going to have, be able to have the same kind of depth. But when you have a guy like Conchar, who's going to be probably should be making more than he's going to make just for the role he serves making the small salary, I think it's very helpful. And I, I like, so I kind of like that. Like, like I almost hope that, you know, every time I hear all the, you know, Stephen Adams at the farmer's market, Stephen Adams at Shelby Farms Dog Park, uh, Stephen Adams is the guy that everybody always sees at the local restaurants here in Memphis. I just think maybe he just will love Memphis and start taking less and less money, just like Udonis and be that culture guy. And I hope that we can find multiple players like this who can be the back end people who in a playoff series we don't expect to play. But if people get injured during the regular season, we can slot them in and they play good minutes. Or honestly, maybe even a Conchar can have his moment you know, at some point in the future, if we have some bad injuries in the playoffs and come in. Um, but you need guys on your roster that aren't going to be playoff people, but you just can't have them making a lot of money. And so that's why I like the long extension he got. Yeah. And also just to ar- argue the case as well for this postseason, how it was frustrating with our lack of depth. And then Conchar was kind of lumped in, I feel like, into that uh, that case that people were made. I, I mean, you look at the roster and to me, this was more a mistake if you're talking about playoff depth or the lack thereof. Like, number one, injuries. Can't not talk about that. Number two, if you want to get mad at, at, at the lack of depth, get mad at drafting or having, like, four rookies on your roster at a point in time. All of which, by the way, all except for Kennedy Chandler, which we already know how that went, were ma- are making more money than Conchar <laughs> yes. this past year. So, like, to me, it was more of a, an issue on, on the youth side than it was yeah. on the Conchar side because if you had a normal spread of age on a roster of a playoff team that's trying to go to the Western right. Conference Finals, then you're not going to be expecting anything of John Conchar. Right. He's going to be your regular season pacing just like day in, day out, mm-hmm. he is going to be a positive player every time he's on the floor in the regular season. You hope that if you in, like you said, in a pinch, yeah. like can he hit a couple of shots? And, he's going to do everything else well, right? So that's but, the and I the think hump. and I and I honestly think Clyde was a little hard on himself when he said, "Should we have dealt, you know tripled down on youth?" I think for him. Like none of these guys would be playing in a playoff rotation. Like we had, what happened was, I think if we got greedy, it was we want to take a long look at all these guys and we just did not factor in injuries and health. And so like in theory, none of these people should have been playing if we're healthy. We have a top eight, top, top even nine, even without these guys, but we ended up having to play a lot of Roddy. You know, and a lot of Aldama and a lot of Conchar because of all the injuries. We, that was something that I think was unexpected. Um, and the other thing is, by the way, for everybody who wants to complain, uh, it's unquestionable to me. Uh, Conchar had the top postseason play, and maybe I'm getting ahead of ourselves and when we have some awards and stuff. But, I mean, it's not even a question. He had the best play of the postseason. Like, that was the top moment of the Grizzlies postseason this year. I, I mean, 100%. So two I mean, blocks, two blocks on AD. <laughs> like, two. It's he, that that it's within like ten minutes. Yes, of each other. and so he earned that contract just there. In my yep. opinion. 
Um, okay, let's do sort of a lightning round. If you have a couple on your end to prepare, I'll start with, with the last one on my end. This one, and like I said, we got a bunch of questions, and we're going to get to them. Um, okay, this one's from Austin. He said, can Junior Lofton be a legitimate Brandon Clark stand-in this season? What say you craft that question? I I mean, I've been – I'm probably the one doubter on the podcast um, because I just – I find with big men, if they can't be good defensively, it just kills you. But I don't know if Jaron can cover for him some. But, I mean, I, I think – there is an interesting case to be made that we could just with Kennard and with some other people just go all offense for a little while and try to outscore people at points. I mean, it worked for the Kings as far as getting a really good regular season record. It obviously did not work for them as far as advancing in the postseason. So in that sense, I do think that there could be potential to go just super offensive in the regular season and kind of, uh, just to survive until maybe we get people back and kind of, tra- you know, just to, to to rack up wins early. That could be the case. I, I do think it's almost like I want to push this question back to the summer league is just going to be huge for me with all these guys. Like I'm really looking forward to seeing, I know Santi's going to go play in Spain, but just all our young players in summer league, because to me, summer league is not where you show you're like going to be amazing, but you need to be just unbelievable in summer league for me to feel like you're going to have a role on the team next year and so i'm really looking obviously kenny lofton had some good games but now there's now there's tape on him now there's a little bit more of a scouting report on him so i'm very interested to see if he can still put up some really good numbers um and not just garbage not just an entire garbage game uh you know an entire game of garbage time um but it's obviously he can score yeah. And and so I do think that's potential. I mean, it would be funny because he's not so different from Brandon as far as one plays above the rim and the other one plays very much below the rim, uh, but in a very skillful way. So, but I mean, I, I'm very hopeful. I, I actually think that, uh, you know, that that I think people talked about it for the playoffs, but I just think sneakily, I think the Grizzlies just wanted to get him signed to a low deal with multiple years, and that's why we did that, why we cut Kenny Chandler. Yeah, I mean, you look at the front court rotation, assuming health apart from BC, and you're going to have Steven Adams, Darren Jackson Jr. starting, and then you're two guys off the bench. I think Tillman played himself into a rotation role, so he's going to take seniority to me over Jr., and then you have Santi, who is the logical four four man to come yeah. and replace uh, Jaron and he's going to also play some four when Jaron slots down to five and so with those four guys really to me I see uh, Junior as like the fifth big here and which means you know in a pinch if there's foul trouble he you can see him getting some run uh, the spark element is is the one place where I kind of have hope yeah. where if some if nothing's working like he is the guy that it's kind of like Spolstra has Duncan Robinson yeah for example in this playoffs where he just he's been at Duncan Robinson's being D, a DNP basically the whole latter half of the season and then he throws him in because he has a specific skill that has to be respected and Lofton has a specific skill that is on par with a lot of these scorers. I mean, you, he can score and score and score. He can't guard 
uh, you know, my grandmother, but he can score. And so like, that's, that's where if you're, it's just a wrinkle. You well, can and, and he, and, and what we use that in what the Spurs, I mean, that's part of the Spurs. Comeback, right? Was he was in putting, the second quarter, threw him in to try to get a spark, put some, put the basket yeah. and ball in the basket. So I think, you know, I, I, I think it's good. And, I, and honestly, as we've seen, if he actually is slotted and it's the fifth big, he will play because we we're going to rest guys. Guys are going to get you know, injured, unfortunately, like, and, you know, obviously I think despite even coming in with glowing health, they're going to probably rest Adams a lot more next year. Um, And so I think he's going to get ample opportunity to prove himself. And, you know, who knows? And we still waiting to see if, you know, Tillman is somebody I think a lot of teams will want like to throw in as a trade sweetener too. So we'll see. That's true. Um, Did you have any questions on your end that you wanted to read Uh, for the mailbag? (laughs) I had one from Chris uh, about uh, what do you think happens at Dylan's first game back? Yeah, uh, this is the this is the first thing I tweeted was the cheer versus boo debate. Yes. I mean, just let it begin right now. Um, yeah. I think you're gonna get a. I think it's gonna be enough time in between now and then that yeah. you're gonna get. I think some more a majority cheers. But it's going to be mainly, I think, uh, tongue-in-cheek. Like, we're happy that you're, you know, we'll give you some cheers, but we're also so happy you're not on our team anymore. Like, I think it's just going to be kind of like you're, Dylan, you are their problem now, but we'll give you this one moment. Like, that's what I, I think is going to happen. Yeah, along those lines. And, and honestly, uh, the, uh, you know, my fantasy football slack, they know who they are. There's a lot of good questions here. We're going to wait for the other guys. Uh, but alongside that, I know Jack asked about, uh, you know, what do you think would have happened if if the Kelly Oubre trade had gone through, uh, even that even if it was Dylan Brooks, if we had not had Dylan Brooks on our team for these last few years, you know, what do we think, you know, kind of play the what if game with that if, you know, actually, you know, if that had actually happened. I mean, if we look back. That was was that December of 2018 or was that 2019? I can't. Remember. I don't think. No, Jaw was, it was, on, still, Jaw was not on the team. Jaw was not on the team, and we still had Gasol. Um, they had not, you know. And I don't believe Gasol and uh, Conley had been traded. I know Conley had been traded. That's I don't right. think Gasol had been traded yet. He was going to be in because February. I think the thought was that that after that trade. The rumor is, I think after that trade is sort of when Kleiman took over, but wasn't. Um, he wasn't yet wasn't in, in title. He wasn't in title, but he was the one who basically then took over the trade, uh, took over more of that uh, of running the team in that way after that kind of debacle. Yeah, that's a really interesting question, though. I'd have to look back at what Ubre's contract situation was um, because I think Dylan actually he hadn't been extend. Maybe he did get an extension uh, later, like a couple months later or something. Because I remember. Like, no, it was a year later, actually, when he got that extension because it would happen a little bit after we started the podcast in December yeah. of 2019. So, no, I think you're looking at a, a team that um, I think by now we probably moved on from Ubre. Like, I think it yeah. would have been, we would have been on our next iteration. I don't see Ubre as a guy that necessarily would have survived like the climate regime change. Yeah. And so, just because he's, he's not, I mean, this is this is anecdotal, but he hasn't been just like a huge culture guy. And I feel like to start when you're yeah. cleaning house, you want to start from from the building blocks with with guys that you trust. I mean, you looked at Kleiman's moves, just making sure to get like Parsons 
out of the building, even though he didn't bring back really anything. Well, he brought back Solomon Hill of yeah. note. So just like little things like that, where you're not you're not retaining Eric Bledsoe, you're not retaining Dwight Howard, like all of these contracts. Like I think Ubre kind of maybe would have been one of those guys, depending on his um, contribution in the building. Yeah. So. Yeah, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously now I'm glad just the way it all worked out. I, I'm glad, you know, since Marc Gasol is probably still at this point, although I think it's going to change eventually, still my favorite Grizzlies player ever, um, that, you know, he won, he got a title uh, with with the Raptors later on. And I just, so I, in that sense, and I think it was a good clarify, like it almost was a good clarifying thing for the fact we need to move on, bef- like, get to the next gen era. And so in that sense, I think that Kelly Oubre could have given us longer hope uh, of the win now mode that we are in at that point. And so I think that would have been bad. Um, We would have maybe not, you know, necessarily moved on. Um, And and I will say, I think that, that we will look back right now. It's hard. We will look back. And I think, because I think, I think it'll be cheers to with Dylan because there'll be some time and look back at, the kind of the culture of playing hard defense coming to play even in the regular season. Uh, I like kind of, I still like our swagger and getting under other team skins. I know that's, that, that's still a little bit, it didn't go well for us this year in the same way that he brought. And honestly, I mean, I just think the Warriors play in went play, uh, play in game win. And that first game against Utah, um, you know, that Dylan played so well in. I just, I mean, I, I think that those things are still really good memories and I'm glad we had them. Also, we have really, really short memories when it comes to this stuff. And I, I, this was illustrated by the fact. So, uh, the Grizzlies history, Twitter account, um, that I'll post basically like a tweet a day about what happened is last week. We had a tweet about game one win against Utah. It's like Dylan had 31, like he was the the game high scorer there and there were comments after like replies to that tweet like man like if we only had that dylan or you just like yeah there's already nostalgia for that series and dylan like it wasn't just all hate um there were some funny comments of course just yes it's, it's the the context we're in but i think and even then you're looking at all of these uh free agency uh you know i lists with small forwards like dylan brooks is going to be at the top of a lot uh, of these yeah. lists, and you're going to hear his name a ton right. for some pretty good teams that are going to try to fill in what they can with if they only have like the because, mid-level or if they feel yeah. like that they just need like that last like the Cavs are one mm-hmm. of the teams that have been brought up. Like, is he their three that yeah. can really bring them together? It, so we, it, we're going to forget how actually right. valuable on the marketplace he is despite all of the antics right and and then i think and i think it's interesting it just bad i mean this is what i think we why we love basketball too in the sense that in that 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 there was a time in which he flourished in kind of that role and you can see it in dylan's mind how that usage rate he did well at Utah and you can see how with Bain and with jaw and with Jaron and him feeling on the outside of that, how him feeling like, see, that's the problem, you know, and we hear, you know, we laugh the quotes, well, I need the ball more. And when I'm missing, I need to be able to shoot it more to get hot. And we laugh like, no, Dylan, you need to shoot it less. But there's this mentality where at one point he had that and he felt he was successful that way. And it's just, it's just interesting how, 
you know, and just the mentalness of like, man, teams are totally leaving you wide open and just how different that is than being sort of a, a first, second option guy on a team and just how, how that deals, like how big of a deal confidence is, mm. you know, so. Yeah, 100%. Any other questions on your end before we sign off? Um, I'm trying to look and see. Uh, I think a lot of these ones I want to do with the other guys, Perfect. honestly. So. Great. Well, um, game one, as we're recording, is there's eight minutes left in the fourth quarter, and the Nuggets are up by 14. So I will never count the heat out until it says zero, uh, but it looks like the Nuggets might be on their way. Uh, with that in mind, Kraft, we'll end it here. Do you have a prediction for for the finals in terms of game Yeah, score? I mean, I, I would say, like, you know, um, my – my gut tells me honestly like nuggets and four, but I do th- really respect Spolstra and Jimmy Butler and just the heat organization, heat culture. So the gentleman sweep is what, I mean, and I th- honestly, I think that is the, the, uh, the betting favorite is the five game nuggets win. And I, and I kind of go with Vegas on that. I think, I think that's sort of that I can see the heat winning a game three. Um, but I just think the nuggets are too good. And honestly, uh, if you look, the Nuggets have been a, a really bad matchup for the Heat just in general in the regular season. Uh, the Nugget, the the Nuggets just destroy kind of weird defenses and zone defenses, and when you try to mess it mess around with defense, and that's the Heat love to do that, and they just the Nuggets kill those those kind of defenses. So, I think Nuggets in six. I think the um, the Heat are gonna find a way uh, to win at home, and you're gonna get. The, the Nuggets basically having, like, digging deep, you know, stop and mess around and go back to Miami and get it done in six instead of punting it to seven games. I just think that, like, you were sort of along those lines, Bam Adebayo is basically the only guy they have to guard Nikola Jokic, and I just don't trust Bam in four out of seven games yeah. to, to really get it done. But I've, uh, if anything, this heat run has been encouraging to me from a grizzly standpoint because it shows you that uh, there is hope and you can basically get to this spot in a lot of different ways and there's not just basically there's just not not just one way to skin a cat if you will yeah so uh culture matters and having getting hot at the right time matters really good coaching matters like these are two teams that i was really excited to see now at the mountaintop especially as we move to this new phase of the NBA when when more teams seem to have an opportunity here. Um, it's just it's just good to see. So yeah, for sure. All right. Well this has been another edition of the Grizzden podcast. Shout out to Ty and Brantley. We will get them on another podcast here soon. We still have we still owe you the Denny Awards and we have the draft uh, coming up here in just a few weeks. And so until then, uh, for Kraft, I'm Will. Thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you soon. 